Welcome again, everybody, to the Attain Anything podcast with entrepreneurs and businessmen Wade Swikel and Chris Marhefka. During this podcast, you'll hear conversations with high-achieving, world-class individuals at the top of their games. We're going to learn their stories, and they're going to share their tips and secrets that have propelled them to success and will help you elevate your influence. This podcast will enable you to live life to your maximum potential and ultimately attain anything. So welcome, guys, to another episode of the Attain Anything podcast. Uh, this week, I am really excited for our guest. Uh, Ed Buckley is the founder, CEO, president of PureFit, Inc. Um, Ed was someone that uh, I, we go way back, right, Ed? And we were, we were just briefly chatting about this before the show about how uh, we're kind of at this stage now where we're, we're kind of hitting that next level, right? So what, what does that next level mean to you? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, you know, when, when we first met each other, we were just starting the idea of PeerFit, of, of how can we help studios and, and plug them into people in a different way than we generally thought uh, possible. And what we've been able to grow into is how do you plug studios into worksite wellness dollars? How do you plug studios into health insurance dollars? And really in the last year, um, it, we've hit kind of this national scale, right? We moved the company from Gainesville to Tampa for the uh, Healthbox Accelerator. And the exponential growth that happened after that has been insane. So, you know, right now we're working with several national partners, um, like I said, to take what was once a Gainesville idea with you and, you know, five other studios pilot testing it for us to something that, you know, uh, in Aetna can use all over the country, plugged in with MindBody and 30,000 studios everywhere, or big brands like an Orange Theory can roll out to, to multiple of their studio networks. So what's next for us is, is taking that leap. We've already started it, but really landing on our feet on the national scene. And uh, I got to say, it's a testament to the team that has been there from the beginning. So Scott Peoples, mm -hmm. my co-founder, he runs the ship day to day and, and, you know, without him and without the team behind him, I don't know what we'd be doing. Not this. So, <laughs> Well, awesome, man. I'd, I'd like to take a step back because the, the reason I really wanted to have you on the show was specifically because of your story. Now, one of the things that we're trying to do with this Attain Anything podcast is give this like no BS, like straightforward approach to entrepreneurship. Yep. Um, in our eyes, uh, myself and my co-host Wade Swichel, we, uh, we see this, this big gap between uh, people that want to be entrepreneurs and the people that are actually doing it. So I, I loved your story right from the start because it really just, it, it started out of a need, right? You, PureFit just was a gap in the marketplace and you filled it. Yep. I, I always tell everyone I, I hate the word entrepreneur. I try never to use the word entrepreneur, right? <laughs> I've never described myself that way. If people ask me what I do, I say, oh, we work in health technology uh -huh. or you know something like that. Um, you shouldn't go looking for a problem, mm -hmm. right? It should smack you in the face and you should become so obsessed with how does this problem exist? How do we not have a solution <laughs> for this problem? And, and it's only with that passion that you'll actually be successful starting a company or building a company or being an entrepreneur. Um, 
It is passion through and through that is the only currency that buys you success uh, in this industry. And, and honestly, like I said, you can't be someone who's looking for a problem because you're only going to be passionate about that as much as you can be, mm -hmm. right? If I were to tell you about a problem I care about, you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, problem, maybe there's a solution. It's when it's something you love, maybe you're involved with, and you see it, and like I said, you can't sleep at night because you're like, how has no one come up with a solution for this? And that's what we did, right? I was a fitness instructor over at Gainesville Health. My education, I was doing grad school at the time, is, is in this area. And we were like, how is access to group fitness, group fitness information, the ability to flow between them so stale and outdated? The way that I always look at it is if an alien came down and you had to explain to them the status quo, and they would say, well, why the heck do you do it that way? Then you have a problem. Yeah. And the way that we were using worksite wellness dollars, the way that we access and consumed fitness, it, it means the same model since like 1960. Yeah. We, nothing has been innovative and it just bothered the heck out of us. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we're still as hopefully you can tell as passionate about it today <laughs> as we were on day one. Yeah, I can tell you are absolutely passionate about it, which is which is honestly what the industry needs right now right i mean because there there is still and, and you can maybe talk to what has changed since you started peer fit mm. but I, I i think that you would also be the first to say that there's still a massive gap right yeah so i mean the way that we think about not just peer fit but our industry is really about personalization mm -hmm. we are in the business of personalizing wellness healthcare, physical activity however you want to look at that the rest of the market, the rest of what everyone else likes to do is about personalization. So if I pull out my phone right here, it knows who I am. I can get into it with my fingerprint. My background is different than yours. My apps on here are different than yours. It is a completely catered experience. But for some reason in wellness and by a proximity, these other two things, right? Healthcare and, and fitness, but wellness in general, it's like, hey, me as the administrator, what's the kind of simplest thing for me to do and that's what you have to deal with mm -hmm. and once again my god that's just <laughs> that's a terrible way to look at yeah. things. So, so we looked at it and said okay if if ed buckley the consumer would be willing to do something with his own money his own time his own energy how do you make that solution an enterprise health solution and so at the time honestly uh, the aca obamacare whatever you want to call it was really just getting past. So not even everyone understood the policy implications uh, that were going on with, there's a lot more funding access for preventative service, wellness services, and physical activity. Um, and the industry has really caught up in the last few years. If we tried to pitch what we're doing today, four years ago or five years ago when we started the company, we would not have been successful. It's one of those where it was right pivot, right time, uh, enough times, you know, to, to kind of hit there. And so what's really changed is the market is finally ready for it um, from a policy perspective. And then as well as I think the salespeople at Aetna and Cigna and all these other places are tired of pushing out really crappy wellness solutions. Like, yeah. oh, one size fits all, the engagement's going to be terrible, but we've got nothing better to sell. And that's probably something we've heard a lot in the last years. Like, oh my gosh, we're going to look so good for bringing this into the table <laughs> because we're pushing, hey, I guess just buy Fitbits again for your third year budget. Um, now they can say, do your people want to go to you know, a boot camp? Do they want to go to Pilates? Do you want to do you know, all these great things on my shirt? Yeah. Um, you, you can go do that. And by the way, it's not going to be two hours of paperwork and reimbursement you know, every single month scanning it in. 
It's just reserve your class and you're in. It's that easy. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking about the fitness models that are working and you're just giving people easier and better access to them yep. and doing it on an I enterprise mean, level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what we always say is it's got to be easy and it's got to be enjoyable, mm -hmm. right? If you can make personalization easy and enjoyable, not just for the consumer, but for the people providing that service, mm -hmm. right? It wouldn't necessarily make sense if, you know, it was really easy for me, but then the administrator's got a headache to deal with all of this stuff. We've got to make sure that everyone involved finds it a really pleasant and delightful experience. And we actually thought by getting rid of a lot of things, we could do that. And that's what technology allows us to do, right? Is to focus on the core of what we're innovating. Mm -hmm. Technology will automate a lot of these manual processes so that the experience is what we are, are really worried about and not how do you fund it or how do you do the reimbursement paperwork. So how much of where you guys are at today was part of the vision or how much of it was just growth and tweak and, and figure yeah. it out as we go? <laughs> so it's one of those, like, I wish, I wish we could say we were so smart that back in the day we thought this, <laughs> but this is actually one of those where everything ultimately has come full circle. Mm -hmm. It's like step one, we said, Hey, you know, this would probably be a good idea. And then we found no practical application mm -hmm. because you couldn't do that. So we went off in a different direction and, and, you know, made all these pivots. And ultimately, we've, we've really come back to where we originally talked about, which mm -hmm. was you've got to be able to plug in worksite wellness dollars. You have to plug back into the insurance carriers and the employers. We, we knew that from day one, but there was no feasible mechanism as a small startup in Gainesville mm -hmm. where there's not a lot of money support You know, at the time, especially that's changed a lot in the last few years, as you well know. Um, but we went the consumer route because that is the path of least resistance as a startup. You can go and test with 10 of your friends that act like consumers. You can't get 10 employers to pilot test mm -hmm. something with no proven track record. Right. So we, this is what I, my big advice for entrepreneurs is, is water flows through the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily follow the most efficient path, but it follows the path that will get you there. Mm -hmm. And that's how I view um, starting a company is that you're gonna take sidetracks. You might even go backwards sometimes, but movement is the only thing that matters. And how do you parlay one experience to the next? So using the resources we had, which were, we could get individual consumers to buy and test this product originally for us, great. Now take that data and validation to the next step up, which is, um, hey, Healthbox, we've gotten some, I think this is something here that we can use, we've got some validation, good. Now we can use the success there to an employer, Employer, we've had individuals pay this. And now we're to, we're played that game all the way up the ladder where on the supply side, we've got mind body online with tens of thousands of studios who are helping us roll peer fit out. Mm -hmm. On the other side, we've got a global juggernaut in Aetna who is now rolling this out to their employers. The idea of just literally almost hustling your way from the bottom to the top is kind of what it's about. It's not a clean process. It's not a pretty process. Certainly not sexy, but it's effective. That, that is the exact answer that I was hoping to hear from you. <laughs> Seriously, I, I was hoping that you were going to knock that out of the park and you did because um, my journey has come the same way and it's the same thing that I hear from so many people that have started companies and are at that next level. And it's that's almost the opposite of what you hear as as yeah. what people think of it, right? Of starting a company in cliche, because it, it's not, it's never a straight line. 
even yeah, the stories yeah. that people think are a straight line, they just don't see what came before, right? Yeah. The only thing that gets highlighted is the ones that work, right? They don't yeah. see the 20 other side paths you took. You know, I read an article, uh, and it, it, to me, it's one of the truest maxims. Now, having been through the process of, of where we are today, a national company and, and all that, um, it was a story on Pandora, the music streaming service. And it was something like, it was like 10 years before they actually became a, a well-known national company and they'd max out their credit cards. And uh, the reporter asked him, what's the greatest thing that you learned? And he goes, survive. If you survive long enough, you'll either figure it out or the market will figure it out or you'll figure out how to work together. Mm -hmm. And I look at it and say, I think our greatest attribute to success isn't our natural knowledge of the industry or our connections that we made. It's the fact that we always knew how to survive, even when we might not have the money for payroll or this or that. It's, it's knowing how the company can survive long enough that the industry catches up, that you have enough times that you've pitched to these companies that they say, fine, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll use your product. You know, um, If you don't know how to survive, I just – you're betting on the fact that you're going to be a sure bet and your product happens to be so amazing and people hear about it at the exact right moment. Just the odds are not in your favor. Mm -hmm. So was there, um, was there any particular moment that survival was... <laughs> I already know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> so was, that, was there a time where you were not so sure about that survival? Because um, I love hearing these stories because it, yep. it really is what makes us and our companies so great, right? Um. So I'll tell you, I was sitting 10 feet away from where I am right now. Um, so it's here in Tampa. And uh, at this point, we've been pretty good at, if we need to raise money, I think PeerFit compared to a lot of companies that come out of Southeast, we've been pretty successful with raising money when we need it. Um, we had a commitment from an investor for a lot of money several hundred thousand dollars. Um, we had been dealing directly with that group. We had been told it had been approved. It just had to go to their board to get approval. And it was something like 99% of the time when the executive team brings it to the board, it's a rubber stamp, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. And I just walked in to do, you know, kind of the formality of saying hello, shaking hands, all that kind of stuff, and, and expecting to walk out with a, a $300,000 check over the phone. And uh, they said, hey, great, great, it was great meeting you. We'll call you back in 30 minutes. Hmm. And I sat here and I got a phone call 10 minutes later. And I was like, wow, it was quick. And they said, yeah, I know we promised you the money. I know we told you it was a sure thing. And I know your entire growth and payroll depends on this huge chunk of cash. It's not gonna happen. I mean, I've never felt that feeling. I haven't felt it since and I haven't felt it before. I've been through a lot of interesting times in my life. Um, I, feeling like punched in the gut isn't even the right person. I was physically sick. Mm. And, I, and I wasn't so sick because they had told me no and that's fine. But because I was going to have to get on the phone and call Scott and tell him, I know this is my responsibility. I can't the the, the feeling of let down that I was feeling for my business partner. Um, it was paralyzing. But I mean, you can see I'm still speechless yeah, to this yeah. day. Um, I, we've been told no a lot, a lot. 
but never in this circumstance, never with so much writing on it, never so much of this is a sure thing, this has never happened. Um, but because we know how to survive, we actually turned that situation to an incredibly great positive, which was the very next day after I called every single person I knew in that organization, everyone who's connected to that investor, they said, okay, no one's ever gotten a second chance at pitching to the board. I, there's no precedent for this. The only way you're going to get there is if you hustle your way there. It's time to prove whether you're a startup CEO or not. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you've got to go and convince every single person of leverage to let them let you back in the door and pitch again. Mm. And it took six months of just nonstop hustle. I mean, it was my mission to do it. Um, and we pitched to them. We got the money. And that, that group's actually followed on a second time. Wow. And the second time, the board member who was kind of against us and didn't allow us to get funding actually said, I've never eaten such a big crow in my life, but I was the one who was against you the first time, and man, were we ever wrong about PeerFit. Wow. So it's a cool story. Yeah, that, that's an incredible story. And it's, it really is a, a testament to who you are as a we, – we're not using the word entrepreneur on this uh, podcast, but really you said it, a CEO of a startup because that, that does take um, a different type of guts, right, to, to – yeah that six months probably was the most uncomfortable that you went through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, we've been told no for an investment mm -hmm. before, but not one who had worked with us to working out the budget and what mm -hmm. we're going to do next. And we, we planned on that money. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting to say the least. Let probably the you, biggest gut check of my life. Yeah. And I, I can only imagine, um, let me ask you something because this, this brings up a, a really interesting question that I ponder a lot. Now, that, uh, that sense of need to get it done and that hustle, do you think that is something that you were born with, something that comes uh, with your character or is that something that can be taught or learned? I think... Um, there are two ways to achieve it, right? There are certain people whose kind of hustle ability is so strong and, and just pure talent that it is irrelevant which environment they're in, right? You could drop them anywhere and they'll be able to be successful. Vice versa, there are people who I believe have observed and watched different tactics to do and they're just naturally gritty but they might not have the raw talent where it doesn't matter what's in their way. So they've, they've learned to almost have formal roles with their grittiness, you know, kind of like armor on top of their, yeah. uh, on top of, you know, their natural ability. And in, and in the environment, they know how to leverage these tactics they've observed. Um, I always talk about Scott, my, my co-founder and I as being yin and yang with each other. And we're incredibly different if you know us. Yeah. Um, He's a very methodical, wise, intelligent person, and um, he's a great example of someone who's just naturally gritty, um, and he's not nearly as outspoken or over the top as I am, but he knows ways to leverage his personality, his strengths, with his kind of endless amount of grit to be successful. Um, and that, to me, is probably the most unique type of person is someone mm. like him I think it's probably not hard to imagine an over-the-top gregarious person like me. Like, oh, okay, yeah, he, of course, will talk to anybody until they give him what he needs. But 
someone like Scott is is probably a true testament to that person who has natural grit, but has learned to be incredibly effective and resourceful. And and I'm sure he's listening to this, and he's just uh, he's very thankful <laughs> that you think so highly of him. But I would guess that he'd probably say the same thing about you as well, um, because uh, it does seem that you guys do. Uh, pair really well together. So speak to that a little bit on the value of having Scott as your partner through this whole process and yeah. why that's been important. It's, yeah, it's been amazing. The way that we always try to explain it to people is uh, I gather all these resources and he mills all these resources, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of like the hunter-gatherer society, so to speak, is he's got some great talents. Um, some of them are complementary. I don't think that we're complete opposites because if we were – There'd be a lot of bristling on certain things. I think what happens is we share probably 50% of our own interests and talents. And that's where we kind of get together and say, all right, Ed's better served doing this. Scott's better served doing this. Not that either of us couldn't do those, right? Each of us are just better served, whether it's a time perspective, whether it's just a simple personality fit, or maybe we've got certain team members. It's like, you need to manage them because we know that that fit is just is better. And, and I think the thing that has made us really successful is we're both pretty just understanding guys when it comes to getting things done. Um, there's rarely been a day where, despite the fact we're both well, I'm incredibly intense with him or guy sometimes, <laughs> but uh, there's never been a day where we really have been angry at each other, right? We know that we can blame the process um, and get angry with the fact that we weren't smart enough to figure out a process, but never do we call into question the efforts or the motivation of why someone's there. And at the end of the day, then you two are constantly partners with how do you find a solution? And that's, that's what it's been like with Scott is just how do we get better? How do we find a solution? And like I said, he's been, uh, without him, we wouldn't be where we are today. You know, I, this came to me while I was teaching a class um, and that's great. I came up with the idea. People have ideas all the time, but without him, we wouldn't have the company here. That's, that's awesome. Um, and, and I love hearing that perspective because that's, that's a, a belief that I have as well is that when, when done properly, I think that a group of individuals can always do more than any one person on their own. Yep. So, uh, I love hearing that cause, cause on the flip side, we also hear a lot of those horror stories of partners, right? Um, yep. and, and you kind of answer, but it, but there was really never a time where, um, you're like, this is it, Scott, I can't work with you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know, I can, I can tell you, we've had people early on who were very close to us, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's advisors, investors, and and something like that, um, who we had to step away from Mm -hmm. and it's never gotten overly nasty. And I think once again, um, this is a great thing that I read in a Jack Welch book, which is if you're constantly talking about the end goal, if you're constantly talking about culture, it should be obvious when someone's no longer a fit and someone could be a fit for a while and mm-hmm. maybe they're not anymore. So that's, you know, something else is just because today we're not a fit doesn't mean you didn't contribute up until today. Um, but it should be obvious. And, and then at that point when you're stepping away, it's not, you're a problem. It's, Hey, we're no longer moving at the same place, the same direction towards the same goal anymore. Mm-hmm. There's friction. We need to separate, yeah. you know, and that's, that's how I look about it is we've been successful with being able to step away from people. Um, and relationships simply because it's, it's not about the person. It's, it's about the process. And there is no question whether you believe, you know, and what we're doing or not, everyone understands what we're trying to achieve. And if for any reason you aren't contributing actively to that goal, 
well, you're, you're wasting your time and certainly ours. So it's obvious to the whole room at that point. So yep, exactly. Not a question. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, going on that, I mean, you talked you talked about the vision and what you're doing and um, what is next. I mean, where do you see this going, both both for PeerFit and then also the industry? Because uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, PeerFit or no PeerFit, you personally are going to be changing this industry, right? Exactly right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're the, uh, the fire that burns inside of me about personalizing wellness, reducing mm -hmm. access, reduce, or excuse me, increasing access and reducing friction. Um, I'm going to do that whether it's myself or I have an army behind me. Mm -hmm. there's, there's no doubt about that. I'm incredibly passionate about it. Since I was a kid, I've been like, hey, friend, come work out with me. Hey, you should try new <laughs> workouts. Um, and I think that from a policy perspective, we should be behind that as well. I think it's pretty obvious to us what the next 12 months hold, um, which is national players finally taking that last step to make personalization, personalized wellness a reality, mm -hmm. system-wide. No longer will it be a carrier kind of doing some programs here. We're to a point where we have enough validation, people like us have enough validation that I think carriers now have the appetite to absorb those programs and systematically push it out. Mm -hmm. I think what you will see finally is the options that you had as a consumer being available in an easy and enjoyable way through your carrier, through your employer. I mean, my gosh, imagine that. All you want to do is be active and use your money to go to a studio yeah. and you'll finally be able to do it. That's so great. I, I think that's what's, that's what's coming. When do you when do you think that um, our listeners on the under, other end of the line they they've got uh, benefits with their company? When do you think that systematically that is going to be the norm that they yeah. they can have access? Um, so insurance unfortunately works on calendar years, mm -hmm. right? So while we'll roll out to hundreds of thousands of lives this year, it won't be a systematic thing until probably one one eighteen. So mm. I would say for all those people listening, watching, a don't be passive, right? You can demand, go go to peerfit.com and and you can recommend your employer, right? And say my employer does these benefits, but I want to have these benefits. Mm. You can tweet to us, right? At yes. peerfit on, on Twitter. Get a hold of us anyway, honestly, or or tweet your insurance carrier and say, I know there's a program carriers are using called Peerfit. I want to be able to use my insurance dollars to go to studios. Um, and we can usually come in and do the rest of the work. But you're talking about from us, we're less than a year away. We're 1118. Um, that's kind of our projection to be system wide, where you would expect this and the things of the past are gone. What is the, um, what's the largest uh, challenge to making that happen? Is it just, just the adoption and this slow moving yeah. beast or? Um, so there's a couple, right? Some I think we've accounted for and aren't mm -hmm. really assumptions anymore. They're kind of validated. And then there's some that are time triggered. Mm -hmm. So for us, if, let's just assume everything goes well, right? Interesting mm -hmm. assumption there. <laughs> um, for 1118 rollout, if we're going to be system wide, that means that we would have had to have got the systematic approval in like May or June, mm -hmm. which now we're looking at all of these large scale pilots we have have to have gotten all the validation by April, May. So it's just really like, we know we'll prove what we need to prove, right. but will we prove it? Let's say if we end up proving it, it's two months later, three months later, and now it's August. Mm. Do they have enough time to do the tech integration? 
Probably not. You know, now you're really, so it's one thing like you might be able to prove everything they needed, but maybe you're just a month too late. Mm -hmm. Well, now we can't do tech integration for a whole nother calendar year. So we're well aware of that. And I think, you know, things are only a problem when you don't have correct expectations. We're well aware and so are our partners that we are in a short deadline from May or from January to May to prove really good engagement um, and really good kind of just consumer adoption of, of how people have used PeerFit from the individual, the benefit manager, and the sales team. And if that is the case, then the monster uh, at that point is building inside of the insurance carrier software, which, man, <laughs> I don't envy our, our dev team at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I loved uh, going back a couple of minutes. I love one thing that you said was that the consumer has some power in this situation. You said, yeah. Uh, recommend your employer, tweet at us, tweet at your insurance company. And I love the fact that we're in uh, 2017 now and we can use technology to reach just about anyone um, and actually have a real influence. So talk a little bit about that and what role do you think technology has going forward, not just in fitness, because that's obviously what you guys are doing, but just in in life and business in general. Like, like what is that going to look like in five years? So uh, it's really interesting to think about the way technology is going to have a day-in and day impact um, for, for all of us. And I think what it does is, I mentioned this earlier, technology has the ability to get rid of all of the middle steps. The first step is deciding what path you're going down, what activity you want to do, what experience you want to do. And the last step is actually using that experience. Technology allows the middle steps to not exist in your eye, right? Because it's automated and it gets done behind the scenes. It's not, I'll just use us, it's not, for instance, that reimbursements don't happen mm-hmm. or the paperwork doesn't happen. We just do it automatically inside of the system. You pick your class and you go to class. That's mm-hmm. the only thing you have to worry about. The employer knows you went to class and their money got used for it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Once again, those processes still occur. You just don't have to see them. So it'll allow humans in general to really only focus on the experiences themselves and that's it. The data from the experiences, the ability to share those experiences, how you digitize, uh, all happen automatically. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about Facebook started doing photos, I don't know, like 2009. Let's say that, right? Let's just say 2006, 7, 8, 9, when it really became big. Look how much in 10 years it's completely changed how we share experiences. Mm -hmm. And that's what it'll do is allow personalization to be much easier and the steps humans aren't good at doing to be completely automated. Mm-hmm. And what's next for the personalization of fitness? I mean, what what insider, um, I guess, um, mm. thoughts do you have on what could be next? How do we how do we do better? How do we get people better and use technology and personalization to get there? Yep. So I think of this. Uh, imagine once again an ideal world, and an alien comes down and says, well, <laughs> "Why why do you do things this way?" If I were describing knowing the capabilities we have. I think of people having singular accounts or singular data vaults of my ability to hop to different studios, my payment from my carrier to pay for those, my data from my Fitbit and my data when I go to your studio and I wear a heart rate monitor, and maybe I change employers, maybe I change carriers, maybe I change studios. One single vault that automatically and streamlinely catches all of your data. So when I move to Chicago or I move to Phoenix or I visit Vancouver, 
I never have to aggregate multiple things. It's in one space. So from a fitness perspective, whether it's my casual walking where I've got 15,000 steps today, or it's my orange theory data and I need them to know all my heart rate that I've done, um, it's all in one singular place mm. together. And the idea that, once again, it eliminates boring steps. I don't want to come fill out paperwork. I don't want to tell you how fit I am. I need you to instantly know, here's Ed, here's his profile, here's what his money is on the table to spend for this, done. done. Your salespeople then become education people and not salespeople. And, and, and we're solving some real problems. That's, yeah. 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 Um, so let's, let's uh, I, I want to get some just Ed advice here. And you have an amazing story. I talked about it from the start. I mean, I, I, I love watching how far you've come. I'm speaking to the Ed of 2007, and I think that's about when you started Wellness to Go, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, a, advice, what an arrogant person he was. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would 2017 Ed give to 2007 Ed? Well... I could tell him to listen more, but he wouldn't listen. So, you know, that's the obvious one. Um, you know, something, and I'm sure my team is tired of me saying it, and I say it to no end, is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something, mm. right? And this goes to saying no to certain opportunities, um, turning down certain meetings, not going down certain paths. And I know it sounds like this is contradictory to how I've said, you're going to try all these paths mm -hmm. and you're going to pivot. The idea that every opportunity wastes a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, capital, so on, is that you really have to be thoughtful and patient with what you do. Mm -hmm. And just because you have the ability to do something doesn't mean that you should. And I even think about maybe you're already generating revenue. Maybe you've got a pipeline. You say, oh, let's just expand to these customers because we can. Mm -hmm. But the side effects might be you can't provide this amount of service to your original loyal people or, you know, there, there's a whole onset of things that could happen. So I would say my biggest thing that I've learned is just because you can do something doesn't mean that you always should do something. That's, Both in life and in business for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, going off that, talking about life and business, uh, another thing that I, I like asking all of our guests and really anyone who's successful in this world and is – how do you define work-life balance? Like, what does that mean for you personally? Oh, man. Probably the worst person to ask this for because uh, everyone will tell you I don't really believe in it. Um, so to me, if you are passionate about something, there is a very, very thin line between work and life, right? And to me, I view things more of a spectrum of does this drain energy? And on the opposite side, is this, does this give you energy? And that's more of how I look at it, is balancing those activities together. Not so much whether they're work or non-work related, because there are plenty of people that work at PeerFit that I go out and get drinks with, or I go work out with them. And maybe part of the time we talk about work because they want to or I want to, and part of the time we don't. But it's energizing to be around them, their passion. The people that work at PeerFit are so passionate. Um, and like I said, it's just energizing. I love doing group fitness classes. That's why we started PeerFit, right? <laughs> I, I love classes. Inevitably, I'm going to talk about PeerFit while I'm there. Inevitably, I'm going to get asked questions about PeerFit. Um, going and speaking at events, right? Doing things like this. 
they might be work related, but they energize me. Mm -hmm. Like I love being at these. So that's what I would say to me the equation is, are you balancing the the amount of draining activities with you know energizing activities? And they might not have to be one for one, um, but you've gotta gotta keep a, an eye on the old internal meter there. Yeah, and uh, I'll be honest, that was that's probably the only bait question I have because I, I also don't believe in it as well. And, and I've yet to actually bait anyone because most people have a similar answer to what you just gave. Um, most mm -hmm. people that uh, are at that next level, right? Because there's no checking in and checking out of life, right? And, and what you've decided is that you're making a commitment to what you're doing at PeerFit and what you're doing um, just in your daily life that this is like your, your mission, right? This is your your personal direction and so it, it it's almost like when you hear people talk about that work-life balance they're making the decision to step outside of their mission or they're yeah. not really doing their mission in the first place correct yeah, yeah which which if you're doing your mission i don't know how you step away from it. yeah right i mean i remember early on someone that was involved with peer fit we were at dinner and he's like can you just not talk about peer fit while we're at dinner i was like no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, don't hang out with me then. Sorry. <laughs> it, it's really not possible. And that's because um, because I do some uh, some mentoring and some coaching. And that's literally the moment when I know when someone's going to make it or not is when they have that. Like what you just talked about is like I cannot really separate what I'm trying to do in my business, my life, my mission with anything else. It's like you'll yeah. somehow find a way to relate it back like at all times. And, and just from a pure argument standpoint, I always argue with people that say, oh, work-life balance, eight hours a day, right? Some fake number that we mm -hmm. created back in 1920 that we mm -hmm. still exist with, oh, 40 hours a week. Um, don't even get me started. What is that, a part-time job nowadays? <laughs> but uh, people say, oh, I need work-life balance. Okay, so if you only work eight hours a day, five days a week, how many hours mm -hmm. is that? How many hours are you then requiring to sit at home and do nothing do or nothing. whatever? It's like, that's it's not a one-for-one -one equation is what yeah. is what I would argue. I love that. And that's, that's exactly the no BS approach that we're looking for, because I, I think to, to get to that level of, of attaining anything, to get to that level that you were talking about earlier in the podcast, it, it takes some sacrifice, but it's, it's really sacrifice that doesn't even feel like it, right? It, it doesn't yeah. feel like yeah. Yeah. along the way you gave anything up to get to where you are. It may look that like that from someone else's perspective, right? I, I love my life and the way that I have it with my friends, family, you know, coworkers, whatever. And it's only when I step away from this bubble and I see people who are in, I guess, typical lives, right? I talk to my sister a lot. My sister has two kids. She works for the government and, and she has very, in, in no way positive or negative. She has a, a typical American life, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes the question will get asked, oh, but you don't have a family or you don't have this or you spend all of your time traveling for work. And I'm like, but I enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah. You know, like I love it. I don't think that I've sacrificed anything. Yeah. Um, at least in that sense, obviously there's time and the emotional toll, which once again, that's what we live for. That's mm -hmm. where we're the broken ones and that's why we do what we do. So you, uh, you definitely have to be uh, slightly different to end up being not ordinary. Yeah, that's that. An amazing, amazing way to put that. What, what would you say to, to kind of wrap up this whole conversation? What would you say that you do differently or better or what separates you as, as a leader, as a, 
someone who started a company, we're not using the E word. What separates you? What makes you different? What's your X factor? Um, for myself, and not every you know person who starts a company is this way. Um, as you probably have have guessed, I like to think I'm incredibly passionate. Um, there are everybody thinks you must be a great salesman, Ed, and I always tell them, no, I'm a great storyteller. Salesmen can pitch anything. They can almost lie about things, and it doesn't matter the product. They're good at pitching it. I'm terrible at lying, I actually. I'm, I'm good at spinning things, terrible at lying. <laughs> and I'm only good at storytelling about things I truly believe in. Mm. Um, so my ability to communicate my passion and hopefully infect others with my energy is the thing that um, I, I guess has been different for me than other people. And back to Scott, bringing Scott up mm -hmm. a lot here. You know, Scott came to me a few months ago and said, that's what we want to figure out when we're training new people to come on PeerFit is how do we infect them with your energy so that they learn to do that to other people, right? That's a, a trait, I suppose, yeah. which is how are you so positive and so charismatic that other people mimic that trait? And then if our salesperson is talking with an employer, they feel a little bit more positive, mm. a little bit more energized after dealing with us. Um, so that's what I would say is, is been a, a benefit for me in my life is being able to do that. So have you figured out how to how to do that yet? I mean, that's the secret, right? We're getting there. Yeah. yeah. There. Uh, I like to think our team is incredibly positive and energetic, yeah. but I don't know if that's because we actually did something or they're just awesome people. Yeah. So. I think I think there's a lot of CEOs that would pay you a lot of money for that answer. If you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but I think you're right. I, I think that uh, you have clearly built an amazing culture and and a lot of people that truly believe in what you guys are doing and you're really in a lot of ways, I mean, we both work in a similar industry and, mm -hmm. and it's, it is the, the crisis of our time, right? I mean, we're talking about the, the health of ourselves and our families um, and you're making a, a massive impact on her. But I, I just wanted to say that um, I wanna thank you both for being on the podcast, but for all the work that you're doing in, in solving what I, I believe to be the, the crisis of our generation, and that's the health of ourselves, our family, and uh, protecting that and, and solving that for the future. So um, I, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. Uh, I, I've been following you for a long time, and I, I'm so grateful to have you on here, and you shared some amazing stories and advice that I think a lot of people can learn from. So uh, in, in closing here, how can, how can people follow you? How can we help you? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I would, I would say, number one, if you have uh, a place that you work, an employer that you know, um, that you think could benefit from using PeerFit, don't hesitate to, to reach out to us. Like I said, you can tweet us. It's at PeerFit, P-E-E-R-F-I-T. Um, you can visit our website and fill out uh, some information there to nominate your employer. Um, and you can always just, uh, I think whether you want to start a conversation or make an introduction for us, uh, that's what we're looking for, right? We're just looking for more employers to help represent and get their people physically active and healthy. Well, that's it guys. You guys heard from uh, Ed Buckley, president, CEO, co-founder of PureFit. Uh, make sure you guys reach out to him, uh, on Twitter at PureFit, and we'll make sure to put those links in the show notes. Thank you again so much, Ed. Uh, we've got to catch up uh, next time we're in the same city together. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Have a great day. All right, you too. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Attain Anything podcast. We truly hope that you were able to take something out of today's episode that you can start executing immediately. And if so, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. If you found value in today's podcast, please share it with someone. We're trying to get this message out to as many people as possible. For more articles, information, or to get in touch with Wade and Chris, you can find them at attainanything.com.